it's my joy this morning for us to look at the Word of God together. Um, ask that you'd be praying with me. Uh, Jeremiah's in, in, at Bayfront Village down in Palm Bay this morning, sharing the, the same gospel, pointing to the same Jesus. So pray that their hearts would be stirred uh, this morning. Thankful for partnerships. Thankful for those other uh, ministries, churches, families that are participating the same way that we are, investing our lives for the proclamation of the good news. I'm thankful for the other families that are going with us uh, to plant in, in the Cape for the Braggs and the Hodges, for the Servany family that a lot of you don't know, but um, they're going with us for Landon Garrig, who's in the Coast Guard. And, and so God is sending his church. It's not just the fairs, and it's not just me, but it's, it's his church. And so we're excited also to lift up our eyes and see the church in our community that, that we don't know yet and that God's going to bring. So appreciate your continued prayer for us in that. This morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, so you can find that in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at the first half, verses 1 through 15. If, if you have the scripture journal, it's on page 34. If you have a different Bible, I don't know what page it's on, but you can find it. Um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. We're in our series titled, The Light of the Gospel, which is walking through the second letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. And uh, the second letter that's recorded for us. We think there may be more letters that we don't have recorded in Scripture. But this is the letter that we've been walking through. And so we actually began it at the beginning of the year. It's been a long, long process. We took a break in the summer looking at the attributes of God and remembering the God that we can know. And so two months ago, we stepped back into this letter. Um, For context... The, the second letter to the Corinthians is divided into three parts, usually by commentators and scholars. And so the, the first section of the letter is chapters 1 through 7. And so this is Paul addressing the Corinthian people, reminding them of his apostleship, um, of his gifting, of what God has called him to do to proclaim the gospel, and reminding them of the time that he spent with them, that they would remember. And so he's uh, making that case. And then in the middle of this, this letter, we have this call to give, the call to generosity toward the church in particular and, the, and meeting the needs of the church. And so that's in, in chapters 8 and 9. And so we've spent some time there the last couple of weeks. And then last week, we launched into this third section of the book in chapter 10. And so we're going to continue to see that in chapter 11 today. Particularly, he uses a little bit of a different style in this last section. He uses some irony, and uh, we'll see that even in the opening verse today. He, he asks that the Corinthian people would bear with him in foolishness, and we'll see what that means. So let's read the Word of God together. Hopefully you, you have it in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, follow along as I read verses 1 through 15. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful for your word this morning. Thank you for this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth was written almost 2,000 years ago, that it's been preserved for us to read, to hear your words for us today. It's not an accident for us to be going through this letter at this particular time in our history and cultural moment. Lord, help us to remember that it is Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel that we need. God, we're desperate to remember that Jesus, the Jesus that the apostles gave testimony to. We need to remember the Holy Spirit that came and dwelt in the church, that convicted hearts and pointed to Christ. God, we need to remember the gospel. We desperately need good news. God, in this season where we turn on the TV or we look at the internet or we hear a weather report, God, and and it's news of division and unrest, of pandemic, of hurricane, of destruction, of brothers and sisters hating each other. God, we need good news. Lord, I pray that you would remind us again of the good news that we have. Lord, that we would cling to that this morning. pray that you would help us to remember today. We thank you even for the, this rebuke of the church and the call to examine where we put our hope. We thank you for the call to repentance, and we pray that we would hear it this morning and we would walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this passage, uh, while it looks like it might be Paul pointing to false apostles and, and chastising them and calling them out, really a rebuke and a call to the church. And it's a, it's a call to a pure and sincere to v- devotion to Christ 
and Christ alone. Let's walk through the passage together with that in mind. Let's listen for what are the ways that we have strayed? What are the ways that we've wandered? That we've pursued other things? And, and why is that even a big deal if we, if we miss the mark a little bit? You see, Paul begins by asking the Corinthian people to bear with him in some foolishness. Now, the irony here is that he's going to resort to some methods of argument that these false apostles were actually using. Um, they're, they're the world's methods. And so he's asking the Corinthian people to bear with him in some foolishness. And, and, and even that is, a, is he's implying that they've already put up with some foolishness by listening to these false apostles, and he's going to make that clear. So he says in verse 1, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. And why is he asking, why would he ask them to bear with foolishness, knowing that Paul, is, he's angry towards the foolishness, he detests it? Why would he ask them to put up with it? He grieves over foolishness. So why would he revert to that to try to convince them or to point out their error? And we see it in verse 2. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Now this illustration of marriage is found throughout the New Testament. It's found in several other letters that Paul has written. It's also found in the Revelation of Jesus Christ, where John has a vision and he sees the church presented as a bride to Christ. And so Paul's tapping into that illustration. He's reminding the Corinthian people that he is the one who walked with him, that he's the one that introduced them to Christ, that he is the one who betrothed them, who introduced them to the gospel. And so in that betrothal, which is different from our cultural idea of engagement that it's a longer process it's a walking with them there's this divine jealousy that he has as the one who brought them to christ we see it throughout the scriptures when we hear of god speaking as a jealous god in exodus 34 14 it says for you shall worship no other god for the lord whose name is jealous is a jealous god and so Paul is, is not acting in and of himself. He, he is acting on behalf in, in um, communion with God, saying that there's a jealousy for the church to be presented as pure and holy. He wants them to be holy. And so Paul is taking that same mindset that God has and, and calling them to this. He too desires that the church would be holy and pure, and be presented as a pure virgin to Christ. And this idea of betrothal and marriage is, is beautiful, and Paul's using that to remind the Corinthian church of their need for purity, their need for single-minded devotion, their need for a love that doesn't deviate off course. And he quickly reminds them that they have deviated. In verse 3, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He just talked about purity in verse 2. 
the pure virgin presented to Christ. He wants to present the church as whole, as complete, as pure. And he continues on and he says that we've been deceived by cunning. The cunning of Satan. Now I want to go ahead and and we're going to take it a little out of order, but I want you to jump down to verse 12 with me. And see how this deception happens. Verses 12 through 13 read, And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Boasted mission. What is this boasted mission? You see, these these false apostles had come in, and they had used their rhetoric, and they'd used their words like gospel and Jesus and spirit, and they talked about the mission that they had. And yet Paul continues to tear that down and point to what is the reality of the mission of the church. And the mission of the church is to point to Jesus. That's That's... Where our devotion should lie, where our passion should lie, is in Jesus. And so as the church together, we point each other to that truth. We remind each other of who Jesus is. And yet these other men were false false apostles. They were deceitful workmen. They were disguised as apostles of Christ. If you weren't listening closely, if you weren't listening carefully, it sounds like the same thing. And yet, it's just the slightest bit different. There's just a a little bit off pointing to these other good things. They use just enough language, just enough religiosity to convince and sway and deceive the church. And so that the church would believe them. The Corinthian church had believed them, had begun to walk in some of these things and pursue these things. And that's why Paul's bringing this letter of correction, this rebuke. It's no surprise as we go on in verse 14 and 15. And no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. This has been the same ploy that has been used from the very beginning. To to just get us a little off course. What do we want to hear? As Christians, what's the desire of our heart? Do we want righteousness? Do we want a loving world? Do we want peace? Do we want comfort? Do we want happiness? Do we want joy? It looks like all of these things are being offered by these false apostles. And yet the correction from Paul here is that they've put these other things as their boasted mission. They've elevated these other good things, other missions, other desires, other things to go after above Christ. Paul clearly lays out and scripture clearly lays out that all of these other things that we would desire, we will find in Christ. If they're a good desire, you will find them in Christ. 
We find righteousness in Christ. We find joy in Christ. We find peace in Christ. He is all of these things. It says in Scripture that He is the Prince of Peace. That He became righteousness on our behalf. That He's given us love and showed us what love is. And that He laid down His life for those who would repent and believe. So all of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, righteousness, kindness, the things that we want, that we desire, they're found in Christ. So what are we to do with that? What are we to pursue? What are we to want more than anything? More than all of these other good things, what do we need? Jump back with me to verse 3. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, the fear that Paul has for the Corinthian church, the fear that, that he has for this church today, the thing that he's most afraid of is that we would get these other things and not get Christ. That you would get some sort of joy or peace, which wouldn't even be that, because those are only found in Christ. But you would get those, and you would be satisfied, and you would miss Christ. That we would be swayed and led astray and deceived by these disguised, boasted missions. By these ideas that are really good. By false apostles who don't even know that they're false apostles. They've been deceived. These ideas are good, but they are not Christ. Christ is the fullness of all of that. So his fear is that we would be deceived and persuaded, led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In our cultural moment, right, today, August 30th, 2020, we need to hear this. We need to be reminded of a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. We need to know and remember that there are good things that we can pursue, but if they add any impurity, right? Talking about purity, if you add anything to that, it immediately becomes impure. Purity means 100%. So if my devotion is, not, is, is Christ and something else, then I'm, I'm wrong. I'm, I'm walking in impurity. My, my devotion is impure. And that's what Paul's saying. He's correcting. He's doing it out of a desire and a love for the church. He goes on in verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel than the one you've accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He's not even saying like you embrace it fully. He's saying that you allow it, you put up with it. And that creates this impurity. You believe a little bit of it, you cling to some of it. He begins to show how he has jealously worked for the proclamation of a pure gospel the jealousy that he has that they would believe has worked itself out by him laying down his rights, by him giving up things and even asking others to lay down their rights 
in the process. He says in verse 5, read with me. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. And even this super apostles is a jab, right? <laughs> it's, it's the irony that we talked about. He says, if he's unskilled in speaking, which he may have been, according to that Roman Greco style of, of rhetoric and logic, he says that if he's unskilled in speaking, he's not so in knowledge. I think it's worth asking ourselves this question. Are we, like the Corinthian church, more concerned with style than substance? I know I am, both uh, in what I love to hear and how I like to share. (laughs) I get wrapped up in style rather than the substance, but the substance that we've been given is Jesus. We have to remember that not only did Paul grow up learning scriptures, right? So he had this gift given to him, this incredible intellect to be able to sit under teachers who understood scripture and, and this intellect and understanding. But more than even that, he had an experiential knowledge of Jesus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and was drastically changed. Today, maybe you need to hear that because maybe you... you You've met Jesus, but there's no change. Maybe we continue to walk the same way that we always have. And God's calling us to to a pure and sincere devotion. So I pray that there's some that would hear this for the first time today and would be like, man, that's what I desire. That's what I long for. So Paul met Jesus. He met his Savior, the one that he had persecuted the one that he had uh, persecuted the followers of Jesus. He was complicit in several stories and acts. And he was called out in his sin. He was condemned, and yet Jesus said that by grace he was saved. So when Paul talks about knowledge, yes, he's talking about intellect. He's talking about understanding. He's talking about the mind, but he's also talking about knowledge of his experience with Jesus. Indeed, he continues, indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. How has he done that? He says that he did it by humbling himself so that they might be exalted, so that they would become the church. Verse 7, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? You see, uh, in that culture... If someone had something good to say, if they were skilled in speaking, if they had a logical argument or presented a great idea, often they would receive pay for that. The cultural norm was that a gift would be given, that that they would be paid for uh, speaking well. But Paul laid that down. He says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you in order that you may know the gospel. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers that came from Macedonia supplied my need. So he points to this divine jealousy that God has for the church. He, he also says that he entered into that. And then he says that the brothers in Macedonia shared that same desire that they would have a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. And so they gave up. They laid down what they deserved. 
and supported him in that ministry so that they would be pure, so that they would be presented to Christ. So, so I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. This is the, the love that he has for them. He's going to continue to lay down the things that would get in the way of you seeing Christ, of the church seeing Christ. And then he boasts. And this isn't a foolish boast. This is a real boast. He says, as the truth of Christ is in me, the truth of the gospel is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows that I do. He knows my love for you. Often our desire is that the person that we love would know that we love them. But Paul here is saying, it doesn't matter whether you know that I love you. What matters most is that God knows that I love you and that I'm pouring myself out that you would know him, that you would experience him. The pastoral heart that Paul has, he loves, he cares deeply. He longs for them to know the love of Jesus. When we think about that love expressed in, in Ephesians chapter 3, in his letter to the church in Ephesus, where he prays that the church there, in Ephesians three eighteen and 19, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. His hope is that the church would be bathed in the love of Christ. That that's where they would dwell and enjoy and live. And they would not leave from that place. They would not move on to another gospel, another Jesus, another spirit. So the question for us today is this. What does a pure and sincere devotion to Christ look like? And I, I can't answer the specifics for you. That's, that's the beauty of the Word of God is that it doesn't give us a checklist. It doesn't give us a, a, a perfect plan. If you just do all of these things, then you've achieved it. But I can give you some of the ways that it looks. We have beautiful ways that God has laid out for us in Scripture of what a sincere and pure devotion look like. It looks like loving your neighbor. It has all of these implications. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering. All of those things. But it first and foremost looks like worship. It looks like adoring Christ. It looks like it comes up in your words, in your conversations, in your morning prayers, that, that it sounds like, man, you love that guy. <laughs> like you... He's stirred something in you. He's done something in you. It looks like worship. It looks like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you're going to fail. Even as I say that, right? Even as we think about that in Jesus' teaching, where he sums up the whole law for us in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, You've, you've fulfilled the whole law. And we take that and we're like, man, that's way easier than the 700 and something other commands. If I can just do those two things. And then we lay that on each other. And we say, all you got to do is this. And we fail. And yet God has not failed. 
Christ did not fail. He, he did not fail. I, I think about it, how I lay that on my children. And so my repentance this morning is, God, forgive me. Forgive me for demanding something that is unattainable and for thinking, hearing this gospel and, and then just being slightly off. And we take this and we call each other to this. The reality is that the call of the Christian is to repent and believe. To repent and believe who Jesus is by the power of the Spirit working in us. Believe that the gospel is good news. And that, that's what Paul is saying in verse 4. He's saying that, that remember the Jesus that you received. Remember the Spirit that you received. Remember the gospel that you received. Was the Jesus that was presented to you in the beginning insufficient? No. No. Today we need to remember that we've been given Christ. That Jesus is sufficient. Why do we need to remember this? Because we've been deceived. We've been led astray. We've chased after lesser things. We began, just as Paul is referring here in the garden with Eve, like our pride says that we should be able to bring something to the table. And so we add just a little bit of us. Our pride causes us to want to have something, to be like God, just like Eve in the garden. It wasn't enough that God was creator, And that we were who he created us to be. And he said it was very good. We weren't satisfied. That was insufficient. So we cried out for more. And we took the apple and we ate it. And through Adam's sin, yes, Eve's sin and Adam's sin, through that sin we were separated from God. But the promise that came immediately was that there would be one who would come and crush the serpent under his feet. And so God chose a people for himself and he walked them through the story and he saved them out of Egypt and he restored to them a nation and he became their God and they became his people. And yet they continued in their rebellion. They continued in their sin, longing for a day when that one that was promised would come and crush Satan under his feet. And then God, in his perfect timing, sent Jesus. The Jesus that the Corinthian church received in the beginning, that same Jesus. Today, we believe that he's sufficient. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God the Father. He went to the cross on our behalf. He became the payment for sin, the death that was due for sin. He paid for us. He paid that price perfectly, sufficiently, and he rose again in righteousness. He lived perfect righteousness that he's now given to us. And so we stand. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are righteous. The old and sinful and unrighteous man is dead. But the new man is a new creation in Christ. And he's righteous before God. And not only did Jesus die, but he rose again to defeat the power of sin. He crushed Satan under his feet to show that he is fully man and fully God. Everything that he said that he was, he proved through his death and his resurrection. And then he descended into heaven and we believe that one day he's coming back. And in that moment we'll see sin put aside. We'll see true unity. We'll see peace 
We'll see all of these other things we're longing for, but most of all, we'll see Jesus. We'll see Christ. We will have him. There will be no more tears, no more grieving as Jesus comes back and establishes a new heaven and a new earth. That's the promise that we have. That's our hope that's in Jesus and his return. And while Jesus has ascended into heaven, he sent us his spirit. The spirit that came in and dwelt in the disciples and the apostles that reminded them of all these truths that they have in Christ. This identity that they have in Christ. The spirit that regenerated their hearts. Hearts that, had, that would long for righteousness where before it had only longed for unrighteousness. A heart that would seek purity where previously there was only impurity. And the Holy Spirit's working in our lives as we proclaim the beauty and excellencies of our God today in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, this is the gospel. This is the good news that we have. This is what the Corinthian church had been given, and Paul's reminding them, this is who you have. You have Jesus. Why would you want something else? Why would you deviate from this? Why would you think that at some point you could go beyond Jesus? That you could request or desire more spirit than the one that's been given to you. That you would want a different gospel than the one that you've received. Why? Remember, rest. Yes, walk in righteousness. Yes, love your neighbor. Yes, walk in the fruit of the spirit. Yes, love God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do it all with a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In the morning, wake up and remember who you are in Christ. And when you fail, five, ten minutes. When you yell at your child, when you are unkind to your neighbor, when you feel like you deserve something that has not been promised to you, repent. And then walk in righteousness because of who you are in Christ, that he has purchased that for you. Remember who Christ is. Lay down your desires and your frustrations and rest in him. This morning I pray that we would remember who God is, that we would remember Jesus, what he's done on our behalf, that we would rest in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. And let's conclude with Paul's final warning. It says at the end of verse 15, their end will correspond to their deeds. Now he's talking about the false apostles here. He's talking about false teaching, but he's also talking to the Corinthian church that's begun to believe this. If we follow this false teaching and even put up with it, if we allow a little bit of impurity in the teaching, anything outside of complete and full trust in the finished work of Christ, then our end will correspond to our deeds. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 2, 15 through 16, he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works, not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Brothers and sisters, the last thing that we want is for our end to correspond to our deeds. But if we repent and trust in Christ alone, 
then our end will correspond to his deeds. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Glorious Father, turn our eyes from the tawdry and transient pleasures of the world, the flesh and the devil. God, let us see your Son satisfy us with his goodness and grace. May our sincere and pure devotion be centered in him. Amen.